Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we are in the middle of Australia Month. So what better to do than to watch a film from New Zealand? That's right, it's our new tradition where one of the films we review is from our neighbours across the Tasman because we love them so much, we just love pretending that everything that they do that's great is ours. And the film that we're watching is Boy. Uh, 2010's Boy, directed by uh, someone you may have heard of, a little man known as Taika Waititi. Uh, joining me, as always, we have someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it's Dr. Sarah Curtis. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing fan Debbie dozy What do you know about Boy? Nothing. Like, literally nothing. I learned a lot just then, as you spoke about it. Um, so, you know, I'm going in with literally no knowledge. Excellent. It has a boy in it. I'm assuming there is a <laughs> yeah. boy involved. Yeah, there's there's at least one confirmed gender. That that is what we know. <laughs> Success. Um, but you know of of Taika Waititi. As I call him, Taika. Yep. Yes. What would you be expecting from something that is that is him ten years ago? Well, I'm assuming it's going to be quirky. It's going to be a bit weird and fun, uh, which I'm here for. I like quirky, weird, and fun. Um, and you know, as you said, there's a boy involved, so you know it's going to be wholesome. I guess. He's usually pretty wholesome. Hmm. Well, I mean, we'll have to find out. Joining us as our guest who has seen the film, it's David Cox. Hello. How are you, David? I'm good. Excellent. Yep. You you have seen Boy. I have. What can you tell us about it in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way? Because I also haven't seen the film. I, I'm almost as in the dark as Sarah. Um, a young boy and his younger brother uh, live... With someone? I can't remember. Basically, their dad hasn't been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, The dad returns, and then there is some sort of, like, idealization of the father, and, like, trying to, like, adjust to him coming back, basically. Mm. So, if there's Um, two boys, why is it called boy singular and not boys plural? uh, Well, the other boy is, like, quite young so it's uh it's predominantly the story um specifically of the boy on the uh cover and how he relates to his dad coming back and all the like dreams that he's had of like this moment and like the relationship that he wants to have and the other boy the younger brother uh is not old enough to really have that same sort of level of of investment or imagination as to or expectations of what this relationship is going to be. Um, also, there are some laughs. Excellent. Yeah, that sounds like a very it's like <laughs> this is a very deep, deep examination of like father son relationships and expectations as a child. Mm. And also, it's Taika Waititi who's doing it. Yeah, so you know there'll be some laughs. Yeah, it might be a vampire when you're not expecting it. You know, is he going to cameo? <laughs> he cameos, right? Or is he in it as a main character? Should I? 
Did I spoil this? Or we could watch it right now and yeah. find out. Uh, I mean, you pro- it probably tells you on the back of it, like, if he's in it. Um, I mean, I'm looking at it. Ooh, I know the answer, Sarah, and you don't. Uh, <laughs> taunt her, uh, taunt her. But for everyone listening at home, uh, I think it's probably time that we watch this film. So, pop in your DVDs and prepare to listen to some Michael Jackson as we watch Boy. Welcome back, everybody. We've just finished watching Boy. And by we, I, of course, mean Dr. Sarah Curtis. Hello. And David Cox. Ordinary person. Yes. I, I As I was saying that, I was thinking every time that I now have Sarah on, or Dr. Carmen, or you know, hopefully in the near future, Dr. Ellen, um, I've just realized that unless they're on together, I'm ranking people. <laughs> and we're the best. Yeah. Uh, oh. And uh, Sergeant Major David Cox. <laughs> Dr. Cox is my mother's name. You can just call me David. Okay. Uh, Sarah, this was your first time watching Boy. Yes. What do you think? It was both weirdly uplifting and depressing at the same time. Mm. Very real. Yeah, yeah. There were certain little moments where you're like, ah. I mean, I I, I didn't live in New Zealand in 1984, but there are those moments where you're like, that feels quite genuine. Yeah, it feels like a childhood which has happened at some point. And you're sort of sitting there going, well, I've known kids like that in Mm. that situation as a kid myself or, you know, as a teacher. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, watching how they deal with that and how that responsibility is thrown onto a kid Mm. and how, you know, they just don't have the tools to deal with it, but still do. And I I found it really interesting in that their situation wasn't sugarcoated. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the way that some other films, I think, do when dealing with this sort of subject matter. But the sugar coating came from their fantasies. Both Boy, uh, the the titular character, and his brother Rocky, both of these quite wild, outlandish fantasies. With Boy, it's of um, either... It's usually of his dad as Michael Jackson. Um, And with Rocky, it's the the doodles that come to life, uh, you know, of like the, the house turning into a monster or things like that. So I thought it was a really interesting way of presenting, I suppose, a, a child's perspective on that situation. Mm. Um, we had very little of the the adult concerns, really. Um, we didn't hear the conversation, for example, between Dad and Nan over the phone. Those conversations, we heard what the kids were hearing of the conversation. And it was framed from that perspective. It wasn't like it was, you know oh, you in that gang or anything like that. It was, I just thought it was a really interesting thing. Um, David, when did you last watch this film? Um, oh, it would have been years ago. It would have, it would have been before I saw uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. So mm. it's, a, it's a couple of movies back in, in um, Taika Waititi's filmography. Mm. Um, long ago that I'd forgotten Rocky's story, I just very vividly remember um boy's story mm-hmm. and like his um eventual di- eventual disillusionment with the fantasy of his dad mm-hmm. um and the reality of his dad um yeah but i i i love like the the take on childhood imagination like mm-hmm. he's just that's it's basically a story about that in multiple ways mm. it's it's quite a good film but I'm still a little unsure of how to 
process it, I guess, because it is surprisingly dark, I, I guess. Mm. It, it, and it's the topic, I think, that's yeah. making... I'm feeling the same way. It's the sort of thing where you're like, well, I can't say I liked it because you're not meant to like it. You know, it was... Mm well done in what it did yeah. and what it portrayed and how it did that so technically you know fantastic mm. um but again the story is so dark you're just like i i can't say that i liked it because that's mm. almost like saying i like the story yeah and, and this, the, the story itself um is is about this this boy um who um is basically referred to as boy as everyone and he's got you know uh, he, he lives with his nan and all his cousins and his brother and then his much beloved father figure comes back into the world but he's not quite what he seems uh even though he is uh taika watiti and he's doing a really great performance it's it's this um he, he's just fall he it's it's as you said he has his illusions of what his father is and also what he expects fathers to be like slowly stripped away over the course of of the film and it's just quite depressing, really. I think ultimately, as much as it's kind of got that that nice kind of sheen and gloss of the Kiwi humour on it, yeah, I don't feel very good. I guess it's just it's just I've come to the end of it, and I'm like, ah, oh, ah, oh, that sucked. Not not the film, but just the the the, the whole mm, film was great. The situation sucked. Yeah, I'm like, and that's an effective form of that's, yeah. it's effective. It is effective. Yeah. I mean, I feel as though boy is in a better place as a person by the end of it but is in he's had that illusion shattered and he's not gonna hopefully repeat the mistakes of his father and um, we see him doing that over the course of when he's trying to be like his dad and you know like wearing the jacket and buying everyone the ice lollies and stuff and... i love that his first uh instinct upon finding all this money was to go and buy his mates icy poles yeah yeah, like, it was, that's it, so sweet. Again, and that was the, kind of the key difference between who boy is and who dad is. Um, and this whole film is boy trying to be something that he's not. And you know, the the whole uh, interactions he has with um, Chardonnay, uh, you know, and he's like, "Oh, I think she's pretty hot." That was my one and only attempt at the accent. It's not going to be brought up again. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Yeah, um, he's you know he's he's there trying to like him impress this girl that doesn't really like him. Um, and be this person who he is not um and i think it's just a very effective stripping away of of that yeah i mean like the more you think about like there's so many layers of fantasy to this like he he, his best friend is effectively a goat that he Mm. tells lies to yeah like he's just (laughs) like oh yeah i have a girlfriend now to a goat like he's Mm. trying to impress she gave me a hickey yeah. yeah, and 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 creating like, the the hickey as well with the vacuum cleaner. Uh, it was a very effective um, look, you know, creating the hickey with that. But but you're right. It, it, he is living so many fantasies, um, so many fabrications, and I guess it's almost a little bit depressing because it feels as though his childhood has kind of ended in this film. Mm. Um, well, it kind of had by the beginning of the film. I yeah. mean, he's 11 and he's looking after six kids on his own. Yeah, I, I suppose it's his acknowledgement of that. Mm. Um, which is why I think it's really nice that the film ends 
with him hanging out with his mates who were just throwing mud at cows. And they're like, they've, they've gone through no character growth. They've gone through no progression. Like at one point, one of them painted blue because he's Maori Smurf and things like that. And I really liked that he got to kind of reconnect with that and that there is some semblance of like still that playfulness of of youth there. But yeah, I, don't, I just wasn't expecting to be this depressed. I, <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's in part because this isn't, I've never seen a film that really tackles the subject in such depth. Mm. I mean, we've, there's such a thing as like a disappointing father or an absent father. But like when we think of like conflict, we try and think of it in grander terms. Like, you know, we're like, oh, this is so incredibly depressing. And my first thought was like, guys, we watch films where, like, people die all the time. I but think we it's don't. perspective, though. Yeah. Like, it doesn't. This just feels like a very realistic, sad thing mm. that just happens mm. to children. And we know it happens. And we would, like, be traumatized if it happened to us. As opposed to, like, oh, they're in space and they're killing people. It mm. doesn't. Well, it's, it's not real. It's like we were talking before about the perspective. You know, mm. it's from the kid's perspective, which yeah. gives it that realness, I think. But also, I think it's something to do with Kiwi and Australian film in that it's not Hollywood. It's not trying to be Hollywood. And Hollywood has such a grand brush where everything is shiny. Mm. So even the depressing, horrible stuff, it's shiny and is exciting. Yeah. But with the sort of more indie films that come out of Australia and New Zealand they don't have to be they don't have the budget for it mm. so instead they tell real stories mm. and i think that's one of the great strengths of our cinema yeah i mean as as depressed as i am it's a really good film like like there's there's not really any element of it where i'm like oh this was kind of poor or this was kind of weird like it's it's just really it is really well put together i think uh, I, I was curious to see how Taika Waititi was going to go playing a character that's so central to the narrative when he was directing it. You know, the old actor-director kind of aspect of film, I think, is one that hasn't had a universal history of success. But I, this really worked. I think he had such a fundamental understanding of who Dad was meant to be. And I think it also really played into his strengths as a performer that we've come to know from subsequent films in that he is a kind of a goofball. Mm. He's, you know, he is goofy and he, he does comedy well. Um, and playing into those aspects of like, yeah, he is the sort of dad that would swing from a tree and threaten a kid with a machete, but like not quite do it right and not be able to stab it into the tree. And, and I really liked that aspect of the performance. Mm. And it also, I think that's what brought a bit of joy to it as well because again you've got this horrible situation with this shit dad mm. like he is the worst dad and yet right at the end when boy is attacking him and punching him he doesn't fight back yeah you'd think that sort of dad would yeah yeah you know, you're sitting there going you know please don't add you know physical child abuse to your many list of many flaws mm. and you know he's not he's not defending himself one because i think he knows that he deserves it and two because that would be wrong yeah that would that would make him unredeemable. Yeah. Like, by the end, I feel like we have at least a little bit of pity for him. Mm. And if he had mm. slapped the kid... It would have gone. It would have been gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the, the boy slapping him was great. Yeah. I was not expecting it. And it, it read so well in that aspect. And you're right. What he had done was pretty much undefensible. Like, he, he, had, he has neglected his kids and his family even before his wife's death. Um, he wasn't there when she died, when she gave birth to Rocky. 
And I, I think that actually physically not defending himself um, kind of really layers into that. That, I love that scene. I'm so bad at starting sentences. <laughs> um, breaking down that scene, I feel like it is such a good, it's not quite the resolution, but it's such a good culmination of multiple character arcs because Rocky has this idea that he has powers mm. and we see him wanting to like heal Mm. Partway through, like he wants to to heal uh, the leaf, the goat. He wants to heal the dead rat he sees in the cemetery, and this is him, sort of like culminating his his version of, of child imagination and powers, and being like, "I'm going to heal Dad." Yeah, mm. it like my powers only work on certain people. I need this to work on my father so he can stop being sick. As it, as it were. Mm. Um, and then that's like the, the absolute childish way of dealing with the problem. And then there's boy going through adolescence and having like, I have no other way to deal with this other than just like straight violence mm. because this is what you've taught me. I don't know anything else. Mm. I'm going to physically slap you yeah. until you're a better person. Um, and then with um, dad's just not fighting back. It's just him finally coming to a, a bit of acceptance and just so impressed at how well that comes together in mm. one scene. And I'm really glad he didn't run off, mm. that he was there at the grave at the end, because I did think he'd run off, and it's like, well, you know, and so he ran off before, that's kind of what he did, but the, he does, but the fact he was there at the grave at the end, he used to have that lovely ending where they're all sat there, and it was, here was Japan. Like, well, that was just <laughs> a really great way to finish it off. And you can see, like, the younger kids sort of, half believing that lie and boy just came in like yep that's what i said we're gonna stick with it hmm. i know you didn't but that's our reality now that almost sounded like a new zealand accent there well, so <laughs> we're just gonna preserve rocky's innocence for just a little bit longer yeah we're gonna yeah. keep just that gonna... lie going just for him hmm. i kind of wanted to see more of their cousin the the the, the older girl cousin Who's constantly unimpressed. Yeah. <laughs> She's so good. She was great. Just like the fact she was dressed up for the party that wasn't a party. And then she was like, this party sucks and leaves. <laughs> um, yeah, she, she was great. And I, I feel as though the world around this this family was really well built, really well realized. Like mm. um, Auntie, who has all the jobs, uh, driving the bus and running the shop and things like that. Like she's not in it that much. But you kind of felt her presence and her role in the film as being quite an integral part of commu the community again the kids um it, it, it does feel like this sort of small town um e even though the town itself um is not really shown has an identity that's present within the film mm. and also new zealand's just really pretty to look at so many lovely shots of the beach and driftwood and that one hill with the gnarled tree growing out of it which i think david you were going what does your elf i see because it looks like a lord of the rings type hill um it it is a really beautiful film to look at mm. um but without falling into the um oh we have to have all the pretty shots because we're really into making a pretty film that's not what this film is about i think it does a lot with not much mm. like there is effectively four sort of set set places like mm. there's the house and the surrounding areas there's oh, five there's the pub there's the river there's the school and then there's just outside the the shop mm. and 
I feel like we do go elsewhere at some point. Oh, yeah. The, the, There's the, roads. The weed field. Yeah, the weed field. Yeah. Like, it's very self-contained within this very small area. Mm. But and it we... feels... It's interesting because that feels like... They're very much childhood locations. Mm. I think yeah. that's really interesting how so much of this film is in nature. Because their childhood was outside and growing up and throwing mud at cows or, or whatever it is that they're doing. Um you know, like Rocky saying, you know, why would I want a pool? I can just swim in the ocean, like that kind of thing, like that kind of very outdoorsy uh, sort of setting. I think is maybe something that feels very much like childhood. I, I don't know how. Oh, I definitely related. I mean, mm. I grew up half in the bush, like mm. you know, most of the time I was running around. It's we're at my house right now, and no one else can see, but there used to be bushland surrounding here. We used to be the only street, and now, of course, that is not true. Mm. Uh, but when I was a kid, you know, it was you go outside, you'd run around in the bush until it was dark, and then you'd come in and scream at the bath because you're covered in cuts and mud and all sorts of other things and mm. want to refuse to bathe. You know, kid things. Yeah. Was, you, was your upbringing similar, David? Were you running around in the wild? No, I was I was uh, suburbia when I was a child. Um, but... Like, um, I'm about, I'm kind of an uncle. Like, I'm marrying into my fiance's family. She is an aunt of mm. um, four kids, the oldest, which is like 11. And so, like, these are the first children I've properly interacted with for any length for like a while. Mm. And just like getting to know the different stages of like childhood mm. and being like, oh, yeah, I remember like, being like vaguely 11 and being like yeah man bombs are so cool <laughs> having this very like wild exaggerated idea of bombs or guns or violence mm. in a very cartoonish fashion yeah without being like yeah man it's cool testosterone i don't understand that but that's fun mm. and then to see them like on the beach just been like pew, 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 with the with driftwood and you're mm. like oh yeah it's all coming back to me now yeah um, i mean my own childhood not the bush because i grew up in the uk but was spent in quite rural areas uh, for for me. I grew up in in villages, so absolutely, um, we were we were basically just colder. Basically, that was kind of the difference. <laughs> but the, the, there's you know running through fields like that, and the you know the, it was, I was lucky enough to grow up in some very picturesque um, hilly parts in in England, and and you know just some of those views and playing around on dales and things like that is all stuff that I think this film captures really nicely, and it's just so interesting having that counterbalanced with the other end of the childhood experience which i had less of thankfully which was the neglect and i thought it was really interesting how this film framed the neglect almost as as though nana obviously isn't neglecting them she's obviously doing the best she can in a bad situation it it seems as though she's inherited a lot of these kids from from various situations you know like the fact that the little girl goes ah not another uncle like that kind of thing um but also the fact that she just i know it's for a funeral and i know it's for cultural reasons but that she just straight up leaves them to be in a position where this neglect can happen Mm, there's no adult who checks in on them at any point yeah I, i suppose i suppose it's again you know it was it's 1984 there was a very different view of parenting where it's kind of like well if they live great <laughs> um whereas obviously nowadays it's a bit more uh molly coddling and, and helicoptery i was waiting for child support services to you know rock up and be like oh come but, along with me yeah i i, I suppose it's it, it's an interesting one because i i feel as though neglect is quite core to what this film is exploring but it's 
it, it's sort of done in a very interesting way how i suppose the way it reflects neglect in real life is not just somebody going i'm gonna purposefully neglect this child it's you know it's 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 through small actions it, it's through these little actions i think this film communicates that really well i think yeah i mean like looking at i don't know if you've seen like jojo rabbit or in, not yet not hunt, as yet hunt for the world of people no nope. okay well this is this is what taika waititi does okay. like he is he seems kind of obsessed with childhood um and he's really good at capturing childhood imagination and the the want for something bigger or or, or like imagining a situation as something else. Um, but he's also like he's he never gives in to the idea that childhood is entirely without flaw. Mm. Um, so in Jojo Rabbit, like the kid wants to be the best friend of Hitler, and he has uh, Hitler as an imaginary friend, and then he he eventually realizes that he. Germany's in a war and that's bad mm. or like hunt for the world of people it's like I'm gonna go on a great adventure and then it's just like I'm stuck in the wilderness uh, I've been off more than I can chew this is this is not what I dreamed it would be mm. um, and yeah and have you seen um, his short film that he got an Oscar nomination for uh, no the only thing I've seen related to that is the the nominees being read out and Taika Waititi had apparently said to all the other nominees they should pretend to be asleep but he's the only one that did it so the shot is just all these directors sitting there nicely and then him just lying in the chair pretending to be asleep when they're going Taika Waititi the title of the film that's that's the only thing I know about that short film um the short film uh like you you see kind of like he's revisited the concept a little bit in this film uh the film basically is a kid in a car outside a pub at night basically like his dad has gone in to drink and he's just been left there in the car and in another car next to him in the car park is a girl also similarly abandoned by her parents to just go into the pub and drink or gamble or whatever and so we see kind of like the short film playing out just with like a a different script and different context of like in this film where He's just like, oh yeah, my dad's gonna go drink, and the girl's like, yeah, my mom just has a gambling problem, mm. um, and yeah, it's just it's it's this is very much like Taiko Titi like doing a very good job of exploring the same themes that he always does, mm. um, and like if you go and see Jojo Rabbit, you'll be like, oh cool, this is this is a similar concept in a in a different setting, mm. uh, and this is just. A bit more of like a his, oh, I don't want to say amateur because I feel like he did a really good job. But this is like his early forays into what would basically shape a lot of his future career. Mm. I think the the relationship between boy and dynasty is kind of an interesting one as well, and I feel it feeds into what you were saying before, Sarah, about um, this not having that Hollywood gloss, where this film ends with a an apology that is not verbalized and like okay i accept you it's it's he reaches out to her after all the pain he's caused her with his father and him stealing the the weed from the farm and the fact that she's clearly been um physically abused by a a senior figure in her family because she has the bruises on the side of her face he offers her the sparkler which he indicated previously were for special occasions and she does take it and watches it sparkle and almost has the inkling of like a a smile starting to appear on the face 
And I thought that was a really fascinatingly, quite a mature way to look at, I suppose, Mm. these very young people who are maturing um, and looking at the fact that it wasn't like an all is forgiven, everything is right with the world, but that there is still a relationship there. Well, it felt to me, I was remembering in that scene thinking just how much like a childhood fight resolution that was mm. i can't remember any specific fights i had as a kid but mm. you know you've got the that core group of people you grow up with whether it's on your street or you know in your area or at mm. school or whatever you know for me it was in the cul-de-sac there were like five of us mm. and you know we would fight and the next day without an apology or, or without you know the words i'm sorry but you know with something like the sparkler mm. you'd know that you can move on you know it's not necessarily okay but you're moving past it you're continuing on with your life and it gets forgotten about amongst all the other childhood traumas and dramas that you have mm. yeah I, I just thought it was it was quite lovely yeah oh uh, i mean like 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 sarah said like hollywood makes things shiny and if if this was a hollywood film they'd all be like two three years older and they would have a speech and they'd be (laughs) holding hands Mm. and everything would be wonderful and all be verbalized because we can't trust the audience to understand something unless we say it three times Mm. yeah i just yeah the only shiny thing (laughs) was the sparkler (laughs) (laughs) that's that's a metaphor yeah um ultimately I'm really depressed, but I enjoyed it. Like, like that's just I just keep coming back to the fact that the film finished, and I was like, "Hmm, not as much of a fun time as I was expecting." Because, because partly because I think Taika Waititi is associated with his fun stuff. Like, he's playing imaginary friend Hitler, which on paper looks fun. You look at things like um, the what we do in the shadows and Thor Ragnarok, for goodness' sake. Like, you know, the, these these things that he's become arguably internationally known for. Um, are quite fun. You know, Kiwi Vampires is a great idea. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think maybe that is partly why I'm, I'm feeling a bit more, I guess, affected by the film. Because my expectation was Taika Waititi equals a good time. Uh, and <laughs> You feel sucker punched. A little by bit. childhood trauma. <laughs> Emotionally sucker punched. I feel as though boy walked in here and slapped me when I'm sitting in my Shogun helmet in, in the garage. It's, I was taken aback. Um, some really great little moments from this film. I'm going I'm to ask you both what were your favourite like small moments. But for me, it was the follow through on Leaf eating the money. It was one of those things that just felt so obvious was going to happen like kid finds a load of money hides most of it in the in the in the goat pen basically and you've got a goat there going mm, i like to chew things basically the 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 follow-up of the goat having eaten the money and the implications of that i i just that moment of realization when he's holding all the torn money i, I thought was really interesting that and the Speaking of Jojo Rabbit, the little uh, swastika that was under the picture that um, the dad showed them, and he went, "Don't get into the Nazi stuff." <laughs> Those were two like just lovely little moments. Um, David, did you have a little moment you love from this film? Um, oh, I love. I'm I'm very bad at favorites, but like there's so many small moments um, that are just good detail, like the dad's physical incompetence turning into a little bit of comedy like the bit where he swings and he kind of is like and can't quite stab the the machete or like he's like jukes of hazard and then takes like a minute and a half to get into his car via the window and starts honking the horn like Mm. it's very much like this good moment of the boy looking at it 
and you can tell he's just mentally trying to like recalibrate his experience so it doesn't change his perspective of his dad. Mm. Um, fun fact about swastikas. Oh, please. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> please throw it in. Talk about. Um, so Taika Waititi is a Polynesian Jew, mm. um, which doesn't really get brought up much, but mm. he thought, you know, that's a good reason for me to play Hitler because I'm exactly the wrong kind of person to play Hitler in Hitler's so mind. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a nice bit of irony. Um, but growing up uh, Jewish, he, he used to, as a small kid, just doodle in notebooks naturally, mm. but he would write swastika, he would draw swastikas. Uh, and then he would be like, oh no, that's wrong. And he was it's like a, he has a TED talk about creativity where he tells his story. So he would then like instantly turn them into windmills. Okay. And so he just had a lot of windmills in his book because mm. he kept drawing swastikas stickers for fun, feeling bad, fixing it, et cetera, et cetera. Oh. As this like a sort of like childish fascination. And so like in what is the character's childhood home? He has in the past drawn a swastika, mm. hidden it, and then s- said to another like childhood entity, "Be like, don't don't do that." Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it's just like a nice little nod to his own childhood mm. in a way. I just think it's good advice for everyone. Don't get into the Nazi stuff. Uh, Sarah, did you have a little moment that jumped out at you? I wouldn't call this a favorite moment Mm -hmm. but it's just something that really struck me right towards the beginning um where we come across the character who they call weirdo who is you know the homeless disabled guy Mm. um so at first i'm sitting there i'm feeling so uncomfortable because they're calling him names and throwing rocks at him this Mm. is horrific but also something that kids do without realizing just how horrific they're being and i was like i hope they come back to this character and make something good out of this situation and then they did you know they had rocky you know come and you know become like friends with him mm. and i was like oh this is cool and then you know when you rescued boy from the river as well I was yeah like, okay you know we've got some nice stuff happening here with a very complex character without becoming preachy yeah we, we're getting lessons mm. uh but without it feeling like a lesson mm. um yeah I, I, I absolutely agree um again you know rocky kind of not rocky sorry boy is it is it a suicide attempt? I'm... When when he goes off the bridge, because I feel as though the way it's shot, you could construe it in in either it was an accident or it was like him giving in to despair. Maybe not suicide, but being I think, overwhelmed. I think he was overwhelmed and didn't care. Yeah. I think he wasn't thinking, "Hey, what a great idea! I'm going to off myself now." Yeah, it was more of a, you know, this is a dangerous situation which I'm going to put myself in deliberately with no real worry for the consequences. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I never read it as suicide. Yeah. I just thought that he just uh, went too far, and then it was like, oh, no. (laughs) It was such an uncomfortable moment, though, because, like, I I didn't remember that he fell, Mm. but just the instant thought of him getting up there was like, maybe, like, that's dangerous. And then him (laughs) leaning back, and, like, I... You know that sensation where you lean back and your head sort of kind of feels heavy, mm. Mm. and I'm always just like I would, I would be so terrified of falling back, mm. and that was all I was thinking of. And then it happened. I was like, <laughs> oh, cool, my fear mm. was realised. Well, Thank I, you, Taika Waititi. I found something interesting there as well. Is that you know he gets on the bridge and starts climbing because a bunch of guys on bicycles 
are riding up. So, you know, cyclists. Yeah. And they're pretty much the only white characters. Not even characters. They're just there for a second. Yeah. And I found that a really interesting snapshot of culture um, where you've got these two societies who are living together, who, you know, are in the same country, in the same land. They're sharing space. And yet they're so separate at the same time. You know, Mm. we have these, you know, posh white dude cycling past and yeah. not really caring that there's this kid who's climbing up on a bridge um you know above you know a rushing river yeah. well, let's just leave that kid whatever it doesn't matter it's the lycra it cuts off empathy that's yeah. that's how it goes I, I mean you're right the only other white characters we saw were the teachers mm. um and they you know people in positions of authority but not massively relevant to the course of the film and who obviously don't care yeah, yeah, like the kid, because uh, one of them says, yeah, it's 3.30, I'm off duty now, like that kind of thing. I think that's, again, that is a really interesting um, perspective on it. The one other moment um, or scene that I really liked is at the end when the kids fix up the house. Mm. Um, that that was quite lovely. And, you know, the screwing the doorknob back on with a spoon instead of a screwdriver. And that was quite, again, it was quite affecting. Like it was lovely and it's kind of twee, but then it's like, you guys are slightly too good at this. Yeah, it's they've not... obviously done it before. Yeah, and like the, the, the really little kid knowing you put a picture over the damage, like we saw with the swastika earlier, where the the bit where um, dad punched the hole in the wall and there's now a colourful drawing over it. It was lovely and it was sad. And I think that scene really encapsulates the boy experience where it finished. And I was like, I liked it, but I kind of want to have a cry now. Like, it's, it's, it is. Look, it's... if I watched it alone, I probably would have cried through half of that film. Mm. But you were here with us. You were toughing it out. Damn straight, because I'm tough. Yeah. Would you guys like some trivia about boy? Please. Yes. All right. There's not a massive amount, but what we have uh, is hopefully going to tide you over. Um, so, director Taika Waititi was less than a week away from filming when he realised that the boy he had as the lead wasn't working. Uh, three days before filming began, James Rolston, who played boy, was hanging around on set as an extra and was given the job. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. He was perfect. He was so good. I mean, it's a good performance. Mm. Um, and again, you know, it's like, it's that attitude that, that kids have, and specifically... Australian and New Zealand kids have, I find. I sat there and went, I know this kid. Like, I've yeah. met kids with that exact attitude, those same facial expressions. And I'm sitting there going, I, mm. I know who you are. I've met you before. Yeah. And again, the kid that played Rocky felt genuine. Like, felt none of the kids felt like they were just kids acting. Like, they all felt... Even the kid that was um, Maori Smurf, you know, with the, the blonde <laughs> hair and stuff. He was great. I was like, oh, I've seen just real dumb kids like you it feels like half of the time they're like okay so this situation now just talk like you would as a kid and like i don't know was it was it all scripted or um did they improvise some of it i believe it's all scripted but i mean you know obviously i think maybe some of the kids might have had a little bit of leeway here and there with how they did things but yeah i, I don't know if they would have said oh yeah we threw a load of mud at that cow and then tiger's <laughs> like cut shit now we gotta cover a cow in mud oh we're gonna get one <laughs> Yeah. Um, as of May 2018, Boy is the highest grossing New Zealand film in New Zealand. Now, that's an interesting one because there's a there's three little films called The Lord of the Rings, which um, I would have thought maybe eclipsed it, but I'm guessing they're not being counted as New Zealand films. I mean, yeah, I guess they're more Hollywood films. Yeah. But I was surprised to find that this was, yeah, the highest grossing New Zealand film in, in New Zealand. But, but from which date? 
for, as of May 2018. So, oh. yeah, like this is post um, Wilder People. It's th- post um, What We Do in the Shadows. I thought uh, Hunt for the Wilder People broke that record. Well, it's but IMDb. I, it might I, be wrong. It could be wrong. I could be wrong. We're all wrong. Mm. Uh, due to the film's success in New Zealand, the song Po... I'm going to murder the pronunciation here and I apologise. The song Poi E, originally released in 1984, re-entered the charts in New Zealand and reached number three, making it the only New Zealand song to chart in three decades. Nice. It was quite a nice song. That's all I have to say on it. <laughs> Uh, during the imagined prison escape of the boy's father, which I'd forgotten about. Uh, with, with, with a great scene. Oh, just great. Um, the dad is shown throwing a spoon into a prison officer's eye. The prison officer is played by Stu Rutherford, who would uh, appear in What We Do in the Shadows as Stu. the friend of the vampire Nick. Yeah, yeah Stu. It is Stu. Beautiful. Love yeah, it. it was him with all the blood shooting out onto his arm. Well done, Stu. Isn't Stu just straight up just Taika Waititi's friend? Yeah. Like, he's not actually a professional actor. He's mm. just sometimes asked to be there. Yeah. And yet, uh, he is he's achieving an acting career <laughs> that many would dream of. Just rock up. I'm going to make you bleed with a spoon. It'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And cheers. Yeah, it was all real blood. He, he had no idea. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, that's the problem. He's lost with... his eye since then. Yeah. yeah. You know, not connected. That's the problem with amateurs, you know. They, they, they'll actually bleed. <laughs> uh, and the final bit of trivia. Um, I, I don't know how much this necessarily counts as trivia, but there was really not a lot to pick from. Um, director Taika Waititi, playing the father, talks about himself as the Incredible Hulk, obviously goes on to direct Thor Ragnarok with the Hulk. Now, that's the trivia point, and I normally leave those ones out. But there were literally seven trivia points on IMDb. So if anyone knows anything about Boy, please add it onto the website. But I found that Hulk analogy kind of really depressing as well, with like, mm. with the father justifying his yeah. anger and putting it onto a character that this kid would probably like. You know, if, if I'm assuming New Zealand by that time had had the Incredible Hulk TV show with um, Lou Ferrigno playing the Hulk. And that was massive in places like England and America. And the Hulk was a really popular comic book character at the time and, and still is. And the idea of this this essentially like parasite kind of like justifying his shitty behavior by saying, oh, I'm like the Hulk. I was like, oh, I really don't like that. I do not like that one bit. But it was also really appropriate to the character. Oh, yeah, no, like, absolutely. Mm. And also the fact he did that whole scene on his mate's shoulders was great as well. <laughs> a beautiful reveal at the end. But, yeah, um, yeah, just just a, just a an interesting, fun uh, misappropriation of a childhood icon to support your abusive behaviours. Yeah, but... it's like, I'm trying to relate to you, but in a really toxic manner. Yeah. Well, and again, I don't know... Like, I think that the dad character genuinely believes that he is like the Hulk. Like, he Mm. is quite a childish character. And I think that he believes that his anger justifies some of his actions. And I think by the end of the film, we've seen that that's maybe no longer the case. Um, Particularly after Boy has slapped him, I think that change has come. Sorry, we are all nodding. We're, I was just <laughs> yeah, like, we're all agreeing. This is an audio medium, <laughs> yeah. and we're all giving you visual signals. <laughs> <Yeah>. We're <laughs> listening. Yes, mm. Stephen. Yes. Yes. I Correct. agree. Correct. <laughs> Thank you. That and the uh, New Zealand thriller dance at the end was, was so fun good. as well. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. I love it. I love it when anything ends with a song and dance number because, you know, musicals are great. 
don't know. That just really tickled my fancy. You should uh, do some sort of academic work with musicals if you love really them so much. Really should, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's a great idea. I might, yeah. I might follow that up. Mm. All right. All that remains is for us to score the film. And Sarah, it was your first time watching Boy, so you get to go first. What score would you give it out of 10? I've had a lot of time to think about this. I'm going to give it nine sparklers out of 10. Nine. Mm. I'm I'm impressed, and that's um, a lot of yes, spa- that's not- a lot of sparklers. <laughs> that is, that's quite a lot of sparklers. But you know, they're shiny. Hmm. What about yourself, David? Um, I love this film. Uh, I literally thought like thirty seconds ago how I was going to express <laughs> it. Now I've forgotten. It good. I like. Ah, <laughs> uh, he do good. No. Um. I think to, I think this film just is just a really good example of Taika Waititi's ability to juggle dramatic tension and sadness with a bit of humour, um, and I just just love the minutiae and detail of it, basically, and telling just a very well-contained story, and that's why I'm going to give it nine eggs. <laughs> You're an egg. That's a lot of eggs. That's a lot of eggs. Yeah. Um, look, it's a really well-made film. I'm not going to score it as highly because I just feel so depressed. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah. Yeah, I was not expecting to be as bothered about the film, I guess, in, in terms of what, how I feel about it subsequent to watching it. It is very well made. Um, it is it, it is a pretty remarkable film. It doesn't, I mean, I know it's set in the 80s, but it doesn't feel 10 years old. Like, this feels like you could release this today and everyone would go, oh, yeah, no, this this was, this was absolutely made in 2020. That makes absolute sense. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it quite hooked me in. And maybe that's a good thing. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I, I think it's a very well-made film. So I'm going to... I'm going to give it eight goat deaths out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Holy... Yeah, look, um, no, it's just a stray dog. It's fine. Oh, that makes it any better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, eight, eight, eight goat deaths. It's, it is a really good film, but will I be watching it again? Probably not for a long time. Same, probably not, but yeah. it's the sort of thing I think you see it once and you go, okay, cool. Yeah. I've seen it. I get it. Yeah, absolutely recommended though. Mm. And um, yes, thank you, New Zealand, for, uh, for being the setting and producing that film, all the wonderful people in it, and for letting us add a New Zealand film to our Australian film month every year. Because... I mean, I feel like the last time I enjoyed a movie on this podcast was reviewing a New Zealand film. Hmm. So, you know, well done. Excellent. That wouldn't be uh, The Shadows, would it? Yeah, I feel like that's the last one I enjoyed, isn't it? Well, technically it was uh, one of the Lord of the Rings films. That Have was... I done that since? That was since. Okay, okay. again, New Zealand mm. films. They're mm. great. See, every time something from New Zealand, I like it. Mm. Just give us 10 years and we'll start claiming him as one of ours. Taika Waititi? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's from Wagga Wagga, don't you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, no, of course, yeah. Yeah. Uh, David and Dr. Sarah, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're welcome. For those of you listening at home, thank you very much for listening in. Hey, we've got one more film to go. What will it be? It's looking for Alibrandi. How do we know that? Because you helped decide. Over on our Facebook page, you voted and picked looking for Alibrandi. So you can watch that next week with us. Uh, If you want to help vote for other films, we have got a trilogy of films to decide soon. Uh, Head over to our Facebook page and search for... uh, Well, you'd find us by searching for us. Go to the Cinema Catch-Up Club on Facebook. You know how this works. You don't need me to tell you. Just turn up, like the page, and uh, yeah, do whatever you do. 
on Facebook. Uh, we are also on Patreon. You can uh, get extra bonus goodies. There's maybe a 10-minute conversation about cats that sure may or great. may not appear there in the near future with uh, certain people present in this room. Uh, by all means, um, head over there, patreon.com forward slash podcast. Sign up and get those bonus goodies. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever you want. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. But that's all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Egg. Bye. <laughs> goodbye, egg. Goodbye, egg. You call me an egg? Piss yeah. off, egg. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.